John chapter 11. John 11. We'll pick it up on verse 28, even though our study, or verse 25, even though our study is verse 28. Jesus has been um, holding back, as it were, from coming to visit Lazarus, who had just had died. So we, we picked the verse up at our reading at 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforted her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a, a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, have always, you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And just one more vo uh, verse for a little extra. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary 
and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. And rightly so. And we thank God for this, his word to us today. Please open your Bibles again at John 11. And let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, in these moments together here, you will give us the ability to hear, to see, to believe, and to receive, so that we will be all the richer as we walk away from this building today. We're here not by accident, we're here by divine appointment. Help us to believe and help us to enjoy you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, we have arrived at the, the seventh sign or, or the seventh miracle in John's gospel, and therefore, in many ways, the first part, the first major part of John's gospel has ended or is ending at the end of this chapter, the book of signs. This seventh sign, this seventh miracle, is called the crown of all the miracles, the climatic miracle, the Everest of miracles. You getting the picture? A whole chapter is given to this particular miracle, and it's so important to our, our teaching and to our understanding. Because Jesus, again, is showing us who he is, who he really is, his character, his person, his power. Now, of course, one of the main emphasis in John's gospel is to declare to us the deity of, of Jesus Christ, 100% God, but we have also um, need to understand that, that he is 100% human. And there's no contradiction between these two things. In fact, right in the prologue, we have these two things stated in verse 1, his deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the, wo the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But we've also got his humanity in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We need to understand both, and we see both in this particular passage today. So we need to have our eyes open to see the significance of both these things. Jesus let his friend Lazarus die. And we might ask the question that the two sisters asked, why did you let him die? You could easily have healed him, but you let him die. Well, basically, there are two reasons why he let him die. The seventh miracle will bring two things, glory to his name and strength to our faith. Glory to his name, strength to our faith. Now, keep your eyes and ears open for these two things as we go through these verses. Glory to him, strength to our faith. Now, we ended last week with the, this great question of verse 26, Jesus has already announced, I'm the resurrection and the life. And at the end of that great statement that we read at every funeral, perhaps twice, here in the church, maybe even in the home, certainly at the graveside, and the question is, do you believe this? 
And the answer in verse 27 is very clear, isn't it? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So I stop there and I ask, as we asked last week, we ask it again, do you believe? Do you believe? Are you trusting in the one who's the resurrection and the life? Are you sure? I mean, are you sure? Let's look at this wonderful, climatic, Everest-like seventh sign and what it has to teach us about his humanity and about his deity. First of all, the Word became flesh. Jesus did become flesh. God became human. Now, we've been taught here if you, and if you have any connection with any Reformed or Evangelical church, you should have been taught about trusting in the sovereignty of God in all our troubles and trials, our pain and even our death, that He is in control, that He is sovereign. We've been taught that, haven't we? But is there any evidence that He cares for us, that, that He feels for us, when we're going through our pain and our sorrow and even our death? Or is he some kind of mechanical God, some kind of robot, I mean, some kind of giant computer in the sky, and he has absolutely no feeling for us and no concern for us? Does he care? Does he love me? Have you ever asked that question? Well, let's see the evidence well, of course, he does. Because after that great confession of verse 27, Jesus sends Martha on a mission in verse 28. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here. She said, and is asking for you. Jesus wants a personal conversation with Mary, just as he has had with Martha, a spiritual one-to-one. Mary needed to talk to Jesus. Jesus longed to talk to Mary. Not in public, by the way, but in private, a private conversation to comfort her, to console her, just as they'd done with and for Martha. And here's the point, you see. Jesus is not so busy controlling time and space that he is too busy to engage in your sorrows. Our individual sorrows he cares for and he longs to meet us at that point of pain. So Jesus takes the initiative because Mary was just sitting grieving away to strengthen her faith, to comfort her, console her. And here today, when I look around, I mean, I know many of you, you're in pain today, aren't you? Sorrow, trouble, and it could be physical, it could be um, emotional, or it could be spiritual, but I, I, I can't believe that there's anyone here who can stand up and say, there's nothing going on in my life that's painful, may not be you, but it could be your spouse or your child or your parent or your friend. 
Jesus knows our secrets and our hurts and our fears and our needs, and he wants a one-to-one with us. He wants to meet us at that point. Only he can do that. And he's here by his Holy Spirit today. Do you know that? Right now, where you're sitting, you don't have to go anywhere. Right here. We need to open up our hearts, as it were, and and receive his help and his healing, to receive his truth and his transformation, to receive his salvation and his strength. No matter what you've done or haven't done in recent weeks, years. Look at the immediate response. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, wouldn't you do that if you'd been Mary? Wouldn't you do the same? I mean, shouldn't you do the same? When Jesus calls to you, shouldn't you go to him? Nod, yeah, that's what you should do. So why do some of you not do that? He calls you. And somehow you manage to say, Put your fingers in the ears and and not go. She did the right thing. The word became flesh. He cares. Now in verse 30, of course, he's still outside the village. He purposefully delays his entry and he purposely delays this great miracle. He knows exactly what's going to happen, by the way. But his priority now, his priority in this moment is, is Mary and meeting Mary privately, to console her, to counsel her. See, Jesus cares about the individual. He told three parables just to ram that through. The lost sheep parable, the lost coin parable, the lost son parable. And here it is again, caring for the individual. Now, in verse 31, we read that the professional mourners and wailers go as well, because they think she's going to the, the tomb. But in verse 32, look what happens. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's exactly the same question, by the way, that Martha asked in verse, I think it's, uh, I can't read my notes here, verse 19, or it's further back anyway. Uh, Listen, I don't think Mary's being bitter here. I don't think she's angry, but I do think she's bewildered. Emotionally, she's strained. Her whole world has been shattered. I mean, her hope has been broken. Her emotions are hurt. And what does she do? She falls at the feet of Jesus. And she just says, here's how I feel. No better place than to be at the feet of Jesus, eh? Better to be in a heap and in a mess at the feet of Jesus than standing or sitting anywhere else. But basically, she's saying there in verse 32, why, Jesus, why? I mean, you could have healed him. You would have healed him. But you didn't. Of course, Mary needed to realize that it was for his glory and for her faith. She had to learn that lesson. And maybe you and I need to learn that lesson today. Yes, Lazarus was dead, and he will be raised, 
But here now, it's all about Mary and it's all about Martha. But the point is this. Jesus has a sensitive spirit and a tender heart for those of us who are in trouble. And we see this particularly spelt out for us in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that expression, deeply moved, basically illustrates the agitation and the anger that he feels in his heart about this. It's like the angry snort of an agitated horse. Outrage, Outrage and anger. Why? Because death is an evil thing an evil intruder into God's world. It should not have been like this, but it became like this due to sin and the fall. And Jesus sees the loss and the pain that it causes. And Jesus sees the cause of it all, sin. He sees the fractured disorder that it causes. He sees the raw ugliness of death. He sees the complete disarray that death causes. He sees it all. And I know many of you, you know it too. You've been through it. Jesus sees the accumulation of all the evil, all the sorrow, all the suffering, all the despair, the tears, the heartache, the pain. And he sees the cause, the cause of sin. He sees the causer, Satan. And he sees the cost. Death on the cross for him. And he's angry. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So I don't know what you think about your Jesus Christ, but I'll tell you this, he's not a cold Christ. He's not a mechanical Messiah. He's not a robotic Redeemer. He's not disconnected or isolated from us in our pain. Their weeping led to his weeping. Our weeping leads to his weeping. What a savior. I mean, can we can we even begin to grasp the significance of this all? God enters into our world. He steps into our skin. He he stands in our shoes, as it were. He feels our pain, and he's angry. Compassionate anger, and he feels it physically. He feels it emotionally. Sin has hurt his friends, and he's upset. Now, I'm going to say this again. I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again because we really need to grasp this. You see, as he watches me and you and us, he sees the hurt that sin causes, and he's upset. He's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The abuse that you suffer, wherever that might be. The addictions that you might have, he, he, he's, he's annoyed about that. He wants to set you free from that. The dysfunctionality that might be in your family or in your friendship circles. 
the sickness that you're carrying, the sickness that might eventually lead to your death, the adultery that you've had to endure, your spouse has committed adultery, or, or your spouse has abandoned you, the torment that you're going through. Listen, I could go on and on listing it, the cancer that you've carried in your body. the heart disease that you're frightened in a minute will take you away at all. He understands it all. In the Psalms, in Psalm 56, we're told he records our tears over these things. In Psalm 34, his eyes are on us, his ears are attentive to our crying. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, Psalm 147. I mean, are you crushed today? And he's never closer. So verse 34, the time is right. He's ready to step in. Now that he's spoken to Martha and to Mary, the one-to-ones, he says this, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. A Q&A about the details. Now their problem has become his problem because he's going to deal with it now. And then we have verse 35, the shortest verse in the whole of the Bible. Why, why couldn't we have this memory verse, you know, when we were chil- taught children, you know, 20, 30 words, and here we have a, a really good one. In fact, it really is a good one. It's astonishing, isn't it? It's amazing. God wept. And it's so important that it actually needs a verse by itself, doesn't it? That's the, that's the point. That's why the creators of the, the chapters and the verses give this over to two words, because Jesus really did weep. Jesus sheds tears of sorrow for them and for us. The Word became flesh, you see, and love and pity and sympathy and grief poured out. He cares, actually, listen to this. He cares even more than you care. He cares more than you care. There are many things that make Christianity so different to other man-made and um, imagined religions, and the world's full of them. But here's another one. Our God weeps for us. Our God weeps for us and with us. And everybody saw it, by the way, verse 36 and 37. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They all could see his love. I wonder, do we see his love? That the word became flesh and that we can be the objects of his pity and and consolation. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were not just another set of numbers. They were his friends. And he wraps his loving arms around them. And he wraps his loving arms around us too. The Word became flesh, and God became 100% human. The world, 
should see this, by the way, in us, shouldn't it? This kind of filial love, brotherly love, sisterly love. It's one of our most powerful witnesses. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Not by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you criticize one another, or if you become isolated from one another, or you abandon one another. No, Jesus is very clear in his words and his actions. But here we have, sadly, the, the contrast in, in verse 37. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? See, the Bible's always realistic. The Bible will always point out that there are many, many people who simply will not believe. They will never believe. Now, I say to you, please, God, it is not you. Please, God, that you wouldn't come out with some kind of statement like this. Please, God, believe. As one commentator says, there are lots and lots of people at the railway station, but not on the train. May that not be you. And here we see sarcasm and cynicism and scorn. Oh, the guy who opened up the eyes of the blind man, could he not have healed his friend? Beware of hearts that become cynical and, and full of scorn and, and sarcasm. In my excitement, I didn't get putting that up, but there you are. There it is. Is your heart today heavy and sad, broken and in pain? Well, friend, it's part of living in a fallen world. But we need to see our Savior here as he is, kind and tender and compassionate. He weeps for you. And here's what he's doing. He's calling you. He's calling you. Come, I want to meet you, and I want to comfort you, and I want to enter your soul, and I, I want to carry you through. And Jesus says, come now, fall at my feet, worship me, and accept my love. The words became flesh, but the word was God. Let's think also a wee bit about this. Do you know what Jesus does here? He eliminates our greatest and final enemy, death. Verse 38, Jesus once again moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. The tomb was shut and sealed, just like, by the way, as we heard from Aaron and the kids' talk, just like John 20, the, the tomb of Jesus. The reason, by the way, that this is important is that animals could not get in or, or grave robbers would not enter. But also that stench, the stench of a rotten body wouldn't get out. But notice verse 39. Take away the stone, Jesus commands. And then we have Martha challenging Jesus as, as we tend to do. Um, weird almost, isn't it? Because as if Jesus didn't know that this thing could happen. Weird, you know, but she thought she needed to tell him. But Lord, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Listen, Jesus knows everything. We don't need to tell him such detail. But poor Martha, full of pride, 
with no filters, and she just blurts out her opinion, the sad reality was she hadn't really listened. She had not paid attention to the teaching of Jesus. Notice what she says in verse 27. I'll put that up there. Verse 27, what'd she say? I believe. Very easy to say, isn't it? I believe that you are the Son of God who is to come into the world. That's a great statement of faith, a powerful confession of faith. But when a challenge comes, in fact, when the first challenge comes, she wasn't so sure. And we, sadly, can be a wee bit like this very often, very easily. We forget that the Word was God. The Word is God. I believe. That's very easy to say that. It's very easy to say, I believe, when in many ways we don't need to actually believe. But when the rubber hits the road, when when the answer seems hard, and when I don't get my way, uh, basically, and that's what really, verse 39, I'm not so sure. I don't know. And it goes a wee bit like this for me and you, you know, and I mean, I've done this, and I'm sure you've done this too. Yeah? I know what the Bible says, and I know what the church teaches, but science says something different, or, 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 or common sense says something different, or, or society has moved on and changed, and, and we've got to move with the times. I know what the Bible says, but... And really, that's what Martha is doing. I believe that you are God, in verse 27. I believe you are God, but verse 39, but you can't do what God can do. Be very careful, folks. Be faithful. Stand firm, as we thought about last Sunday night. There's so much more we could say about that, but let's, we've got to move on. Jesus says very calmly and very patiently, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. Again, remember the purpose of the seventh miracle, probably the, the purpose of every miracle is glory to God and, and strong faith. And that's what he said. Believe. And see the glory of God. And verses 41 and 42, Jesus prays. He knows what's going to happen, but he prays for the benefit of those listening and for us too. And just look what happens. Verse 43. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He, he shouted and he yelled, and if my voice wasn't a wee bit tender today, I would get really excited now. Because this is a megaphone command. Lazarus, come out. Literally, you know what it is? Here, outside, right now. And the people became quiet, and, and the sisters stopped weeping, and the hearts were <clears throat> beating fast. Uh, some ask, you know, why did he say Lazarus come out? Well, it's been suggested, and I think there's something in this, that if he hadn't said Lazarus come out, then every single grave within hearing distance would have come out. Uh, there would have been a um, like the resurrection morning, I mean, it would have been a, well, 
chaotic, to say the least. No, just in this case, Lazarus came out, and he did. Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can, can you picture that? You know, it's not like the Egyptian mummies, the way the Jews would have wrapped dead bodies, but more just loose strips of linen. So very easily he could have shuffled and stumbled towards the voice of the one calling him out of the grave, Jesus. The voice that he recognized, the voice, the beautiful voice of his best friend. And his heart at this stage was beating and his feet were moving and his ears certainly were listening. And when they took the thing off his eyes, he could see. And no doubt, it was a glorious celebration. Can you imagine the hugs and the dancing and the laughter? Glory to God and faith in him increased. And all of it pointing towards, of course, that day when he himself would be called from the grave and rise again. The funeral here became a party. Now, there's so much to teach us. And I need to summarize this, but basically a couple of things. First of all, our condition. We need to understand our condition. Our condition, naturally, is that we are dead in our sins. Ephesians 2, verse 1. We're dead. That's our fallen condition. Secondly, our need is for Jesus to call us to come out, to come out of death, spiritual death as it were. And do you know what Jesus is prepared to give to us and to our friends and those we're praying for? And I trust the ones we are going to invite to Christianity Explored. Jesus wants to call them to be born again and to have new life, spiritual life. The condition is we're dead. The need is for us to hear his call to come out and live. It also says something about our evangelism. Do you know what? We've got to realize what's going on around us. We are surrounded by the living dead. This is a world of death we live in. As one commentator says, a dying cesspool of human misery. But we've got to get across to people, young and old alike, this is not the end, that there is good news. The good news is, is Jesus. And Christianity, again, <clears throat> let me point another difference between us and every other religion in the world. Christianity is the only faith that has something firm and positive to say about what happens after death. And we're not talking about wishful thinking. We're, we're basing this on hard facts. One, he raised people from, from death. Three times he did it. Two, he himself was raised from death. Number three, he will raise his people from death on that final day. The evidence is before us. This is the high point of the identity of Jesus, Lord over life and Lord over death. So are you, are you living? Some of you don't look too well this morning. Are you, are you living? Mm, nod, yeah, okay. You're, you're alive. You need Jesus. Are you dying? Well, sorry to tell you, yes, you are. You're dying. It'll come soon or it will come later. 
I'm conscious that, you know, one of us who are here this morning will be the next person to die. Do you ever think about that? And it could be me. You're dying. You need Jesus. Are you broken? You need Jesus. Are you grieving? You need Jesus. Are you lonely? You need Jesus. Are you hurting? You need Jesus. Do you believe that death is nothing more than an entrance ramp into a new and eternal existence? I mean, do you believe that one crucified man can take you personally through your death? I mean, can you believe that Jesus is larger than your death? Can you believe that Jesus is God who became flesh? That Jesus is God? He called you. And he saves. And and he keeps. And he'll take us home. And he'll raise us to new life. And one day... You will either, you'll hear one of two messages, I think. You're going to hear, ah, I know you. I have always known you. I am in you and you are in me. Enter into my paradise. Or, I don't know you. I've never known you. I am not in you. And you're not in me. You cannot enter my paradise. Do you believe? Well, you can. And you must. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, these are wonderful words, but hard words for those of us who are grieving, hurting, mourning, comforting in one hand and challenging in the other. Lord, despite ourselves, despite what science may say or common sense might say or society might say, would you help us to believe and to receive? Call us, even right now, Call us to come and fall at your feet and receive new life so that one day, the final day, you will come and take us home. Once again, Lord, as teaching elder here, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters, other members of the congregation, I pray that you might come and visit each of us with all our niggly-wee troubles or our boulder-like problems. Will you come and may we have a one-to-one with you and know your sweet grace today, tomorrow, and, and, and until the end. Visit us, we pray, in Jesus' name, and for his glory. Amen.